there's been so many so much trial and tribulation and the irony of you know falling and getting back up has become such a a big part of my life because you know if you don't know how to fall you can't learn how to skateboard yeah and falling is part of everything i mean you're gonna yeah. fall on your face all the time but it's how how quickly you can get back up or if you get hurt when you fall on your face how quickly can you rehab yourself out of it yeah you know and, and that that mentality applies to pretty much universally everything Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. In this two-part episode, Paul talks with legendary skateboarder Danny Way. Winner of six X Games medals, including five gold ones, Danny has set or broken numerous world records, including biggest air and longest distance jump on a skateboard. Well, Danny, great to see you, buddy. Always a pleasure, my friend. What a journey we've both been on, eh? Yeah, it's been a long run, a long ride, a lot of experience over the last 25 years that we've known each other. Yeah, wow. I remember when you first came to me, you were in, you were in a lot of pain and a lot of trouble, but uh, we worked through it, didn't we? Yeah, you know, and that was a, a long journey of, of lots of disappointments uh, to get to uh, hearing about you and... and uh, getting led to the one person that finally i guess trusted at that point to uh guide me out of this uh this ditch i was physically in yeah i know it was scary for you it was a very serious injury yeah and not many people understood not anybody understood and you know i i don't know how many hands i went through at that point before i heard about you and got a hold of you and at that point, I was just like, I guess I'll try anything because I don't know what there is left to try. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, from all the Western medical doctors to, you know, chiropractors and uh, acupuncturists and every, you know, massage and everything else I could, you know, possibly try alternative to going to see like an orthopedic spine or neck surgeon, um, which I did do. And, you know, they didn't have any conclusion to what was causing the symptoms that i was having yeah and uh yeah somehow we're in the middle of you know chasing uh you know some sort of uh you know path of 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 healing somebody told me about a guy named paul check that was uh, had a great reputation for dealing with the needle and the haystack sort of clients that you know most people couldn't figure out yeah i think if i remember right it was one of the surfers i'd rehabilitated that somehow knew you or was in your social group yeah i went to hawaii and worked with a, a kinney like a kind of a hybrid chiropractor kinesiologist um and he you know i'd stayed there for a month or so and he was on you know he was definitely a good doctor um but didn't you know i didn't see much much improvement other than him helping me with my mental state yeah the, becoming pretty depressed at that point yeah so after a certain point i flew back to california from hawaii and he had a buddy in san diego that, that like another chiropractor friend that he wanted to me to follow up with and uh i went and saw that guy and he looked at me and went you know this is a hands-off situation for me i don't want to i don't want to get involved you know yeah but well, just so the listeners know you had a spinal cord contusion a 
a, a injury to the spinal cord. Yeah, at the um, occiput atlas. Yeah, sort of conversion area. Um, when you Danny's injury was from being driven into the bottom of the ocean head first, and your neck had been flexed with such extreme pressure that it pinched your spinal cord and actually injured the spinal cord. And when the spinal cord got injured, it swelled up, which compressed the spinal cord. That's what caused you to lose all your sensory and motor function for a while. Yeah. You know, uh, as I recall you saying, you know, uh, it was similar to, you know, having like a broken arm or something and the bones being out of place and, and, and healing and being set, you know, um, without, you know, aligning them back up, right. but those, uh, what are they, the anteoaxial ligaments? Well, you have the uh, allor odontoid ligaments that hold your head onto your neck, Yeah. but your atlas was badly subluxed, Yeah. and the spinal cord runs right through the atlas and right next to the dens, which is what the axis, axis rotates around like an axle, Yeah. and so those ligaments were traumatized and because of the subluxation of your atlas, it has a pinching effect. It strangles the spinal yeah. cord. And yours was not only strangled, but the trauma was so great that it contused it, made it bleed and swell. So it puts all the neurons under pressure, and it can actually cause nerves to die. Yeah. And there was, uh, you know, my atlas was so far out of alignment that it yeah. was sitting on my spinal cord. Because yes. I remember I would st- sit up in the weight of my head. Yeah would cause all of those sensations to magnify. And yeah. so there was about, you know, it, it took about a year and three months till I found, you know, got, got in touch with you. And up to that point, I, I was pretty much spent most of my time laying on my back. Yeah. I remember your wood, your neck was like a piece of steel. It was like wood. Yeah. I had it moved from my waist up for like a year and three months, like in any sort of rotational or, you know, any sort of movement in my from from my waist all the way up to my neck was pretty much, you know, cement. Yeah, yeah, it was a quite a journey, but uh, we worked through it, and a uh, lot of interesting stuff. So, you know, one of my questions I wanted to ask you is, because you're so famous as a skateboard star, a lot of people don't know that you were actually also very good at motocross and surfing, and probably other sports. So, what were some of the sports that you were competitive in or active in other than skateboarding and how did how did you decide to stay with skateboarding well i mean uh, you know board sports in general have obviously been attractive to me because you know as a kid i started surfing first mm-hmm. when i was really young um and then uh i i'd been moved from the coast inland to vista you know when i was uh in elementary school so i didn't have access to the ocean every day um so i started skateboarding quite a bit as a alternative to you know my surfing passion mm-hmm. and uh though that you know that movement you know became part of my lifestyle and i started to collect friends that you know skateboarded as well and um there's a you know back in the 80s there was a famous skate park in del mar california um probably one of the only you know m- major you know skate parks in the in the in the world at that time is that the one that was in waiting for lightning your movie uh, yeah there's some there's pictures some pictures of it, of it. Yeah. i remember seeing that where your mentor guy was working with you yeah there's there there was a it was you know called the delmar skateboard ranch and um 
you know, there was, it was all pools, concrete. Right. And, uh, it's, it's the same, you know, same skate park Tony Hawk grew up in. Mm. You know, most of the, most of the legendary pros from that era, you know, had to be, you know, in San Diego or near this skate park to really make a, a career happen because there wasn't very many spots in the, you know, practice in it. the world that, and that was the Mecca for it. And I just happened to, you know, live close enough that I could, you know, get there a couple of times a week. And then, uh, you know, it, it accidentally things started to blossom. I had no goal to be a pro skateboarder. I just, you know, had a passion and, and, a and, and, uh, you know, I was very intrigued by what I was seeing other guys do. So mm. obviously wanted to push myself and test what I was capable of. So I, you know, I started trying what was emulated in front of me and, and little by little, it just started to, you know, progress. And the next thing I knew I was, you know, getting, you know, approached by companies to, to get sponsored and all that sort of stuff started mm. to happen, you know, at a real young age at like, 13 years old so yeah and just grew from there yeah so you know my my career started at, you know professionally at 14 that's pretty early yeah so it's been that's, a long road that's uh it's uh it's been a long journey and i know you've done a lot just for our listeners you've set a bunch of records uh i, I you know some may not know you jumped the great wall of china on a skateboard which is one of my favorite pieces of video to show in some of my lectures by the way oh right on. people just i showed it at the pacific college of oriental medicines oh. i did the keynote there and showed it there and everybody was like oh my god yeah that was a that was an interesting experience to say the least but yeah i mean the the mentality behind that was you know i was evolving my 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 visions of what was possible with skateboarding and progressing things to a point where you know i was building these prototype ramps essentially out out in this area out in east you know east san diego county and right um you know kind of out in the middle of nowhere where it's really hard to get perspective on the magnitude because it's just dirt and hills everywhere so i was like you know knowing you know how big you know the magnitude of this was i i was looking for the perfect scale you know something to give it scale you know, yeah and something that people most people could you know relate to. have heard of or could relate to and yeah and that that was my 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 way of you know i guess putting this whole movement into perspective for people that you know maybe never expected to see skateboarding on that on that scale you know and um you have set some Guinness Book of World Records, isn't it? Not one of them. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I have. Uh, I, I think it's you know. To be honest, I think I don't know exactly the count, but it's right. definitely over ten. World, you know, Guinness Book records. Right. Um, yeah, I have a. There's some that that I didn't even know that they considered a record, but you know, oh, that's good. They they can call it a record if they want, but yeah, um, you know, the world records are not necessarily always my goal. They just yeah. happen to be a byproduct of the progression Process, of what yeah. I'm doing. So, so what are some of the kind of the highlights? Uh, you know, we got the great wall of China, which is obviously a, an incredible accomplishment. I remember, you know, I can't remember how old you were, but it was a few years after we got you rehabbed and back in the game, your helicopter stunt, which was, yeah, you know, quite amazing, 35 feet in the air out of a helicopter. And I, I saw a video of it, and I know that you set a record for going like 35 feet in the air, the largest bowl jump ever, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I built a half, uh, the largest half pipe at that at that time that had ever been built, and yeah, it was uh, about thirty five feet above the ground. Um, I think that was sixteen and a half feet of air above the lip of the ramp. But the oh, ramp is that was, what it was? But total, yeah. Um, and uh, the helicopter, you know, wasn't a planned um, event or stunt at all. Uh, we rented a helicopter to shoot video from. And the helicopter kept hovering above the ramp. And I was kind of, I don't know if I was really joking. I just didn't think it would happen. But I was like, it looks like he could jump off the helicopter into the ramp because of the way it was, you know, hovering. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, one of my, my, my friend Rob Deerdick and my brother, they, they went over right away and started talking to the pilot about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, we can do that. So it went from, you know, trying to, you know, prove this formula of, of of you know scaling up the magnitude of what I, you know what was currently happening in skateboarding as far as the the ramp dimensions and designs and height of the ramps and how high you can go out of the ramps i was trying to prove that the you know the existing formula was you know why was why was that the standard and you know who had it experimented past that to see if if there's a better formula right so i figured out a formula and and you know took the risk of it failing because you know these ramps aren't cheap to build and no so it's a pretty big commitment to go into one of these projects and it and trying to pioneer something and coming up with the mathematics to make it work so that that to me was you know the beginning of a whole movement that led to the great wall of china and things like that but that that was a world record air i did that day yeah that's what i remember that was the yeah world that was the first air record i'd set weren't you like 35 feet in the air when you jumped out of the helicopter yeah something like that and you the first i didn't have a measurement on the thing yeah uh, but it was roughly in that neighborhood yeah the first time out you you uh what was it your ankle or your shoulder i think you didn't you uh knock your shoulder out of the socket i went after i did that the first time um mtv threw an event at the hard rock in las vegas called the mtv sports and music festival and they basically wanted to take you know, what I had created in San Diego at Brownfield Airport when I jumped out of the helicopter and set that world record for the first time. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have an event in Vegas where it was a, you know, a competition of high air who right. could go the biggest. Uh, and, and prior to the event, they wanted me to do a demonstration of jumping out of the helicopter into the ramp. So I, you know, I had went back for round two on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the first time I jumped out of it, I, I kind of landed a little weird and, and wobbled out and just fell backwards and, you know, dislocated my shoulder and tore my labrum and, um, you know, did a pretty good job of destroying my shoulder that day. But right. I didn't stop. I mean, I went back up there and jumped out of the helicopter again and, and you know, included what my mission was. But, that's that's what I was referring to. And yeah, I think that's, you know, a unique capability that you have because i you got hurt in one of your great wall of china jumps too didn't you yeah the the, the first the first uh test you know they didn't want to give me a test run because they didn't want any of the media to get any content before the day that i was supposed to do it right so the ramp was finished the day before and they were telling me that i wasn't going to be allowed to test it out and i was like you it's know dangerous <laughs> dangerous because some of the you know the translation from my, you know, my ramp builders, you know, from, from the United States using standard, you know, um, measurements and, and the government, you know, had brought in, uh, a cast of, of, 
of workers essentially to help build the ramp in China and they didn't speak English and they worked in metrics. So mm. the can no translation between my crew, you know, you know, between English and Chinese language right. and then also the conversion. Some things didn't come out the way they were supposed to be planned. So I was still think I was, you know, I was confident I could still get it done, but I wanted to see what I was up against. So I took a test run right before it got dark and after like some of the officials had left the day before. Right. And uh, I, I, I dropped in this big tower that I'd built to get to speed. It was roughly about 10 stories tall. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm going close to 50 miles an hour. Is that how thing. fast? About 50? Yeah. And uh, I, I take off and I right away I know that I'm coming up short. Uh-oh. And most often I, I build like a, a deck on those ramps, you know, like a safety deck that comes back, you know, roughly, you know, eight or 12 feet or so just in case. So there's a buffer there, but I usually build the landing that, that come up short deck. I usually angle it about half the angle of the landing ramp mm -hmm. just in case I land on that thing. There's a little bit of give. Right. And they built a completely flat deck on this one with mm. a sharp edge lip. Right. So I could tell right when I took off, you know, when, right when I dropped in this tower, um, there was a lot of moisture in the air and I could totally feel the weight of the air slowing me down. Dragging on you. It was super humid and hot. Um, uh, and I could totally tell that I did, you know, out in East County, San Diego, it's very dry. You know, there's some elevations. So I was used to having a lot more, you know, less drag per se than feeling that kind of bog, uh, when I'm, you know, approaching the ramp. I mean, it slowed me down quick. So I came up, a couple feet short of the, the, you know, the landing ramp and landed on the flat deck and, uh, went head over heels, cartwheeling down the, the landing ramp, like at 50 miles an hour. Yeah. But when I landed on the deck, I landed on my feet. I only had a, about a half a second to figure out if I was going to go head first and try and dive over the thing, which if I would have came up short, I think I would have got really, really, really hurt. Yeah. So instinctually I decided to keep my feet first and I landed on my ankle and uh, had an evulsion fracture and, and really did a number to my ankle, uh, which, you know, at that point I was like, if it was the day of, you know, I would have maybe been able to just, right as it started to swell up, go back up there and, and probably figured out how to get the speed I needed. Uh, the, um, it took me out so hard I couldn't, and it was getting dark, so I had to wait till the next day to come back, and it was... It was, you know, I'd spent a couple of years trying to uh, get the permission and, and the money raised to do this. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of work that went into the back end of getting this built and done and uh, working with the Chinese government to do so. So I was not in a position I felt like I could walk away with the what if, you know. Yeah. I really do believe that, you know, concluding the what ifs are, uh, it makes it a lot easier to sleep at night. Yeah. So, you know, instead of going, you know, giving up and saying, you know, I, I think I'm too hurt. It'd probably be smart not to do this. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't leave with the what if on my mind. So I had to go back the next day and, and just added more, you know, uh, more to the tower where I'm rolling in from. I made it taller so I could get more speed. Right. And then, uh, you know, I went to the hospital that night and they gave me some syringes and lidocaine. So I shot up, you know, was shooting up my ankle with lidocaine and just doing it myself, really. 
So uh, I, I, you did it yourself. I thought you had a doctor that shot you up and wrapped you up so that you could jump again. Yeah, I had a friend there that was that was a doctor, uh, had neck surgeon I brought just in case I had any trauma in that department. Yeah. Um, but as far as the lidocaine goes, um, yeah, I've I've gotten pretty comfortable draining my own knees <laughs> and shooting lidocaine in areas that needs it. But yeah. uh, I I taped a lidocaine and braced my ankle and went up there and didn't know if it was going to give out or not on the first drop back in. And I jumped over that thing and I, I, I made it, made it, you know, happen right, right then. And then I, I was like, well, since I got one done, I may as well get another. And <laughs> I did it like five times in a row. Cause well, I was good. like, there's so much that went into this. Yeah. I did yeah. 360 over it. And I, it. The one that I got the video of you did a 360. Yeah. So I jumped it just straight the first time and just to make sure I could get over it. And yeah. then, once I cleared that, then I was like, all right, well, I got to do something a little bit more special than that. <laughs> so I went for the 360 and, you know, uh, was, you know, it's a, a, a two, two and a half years of work and a half a million dollar budget. You know, I wasn't, that was a lot of, a lot went into just one run or two runs on that. So, well, it was still, it's something that'll be talked about probably for the, for the <laughs> history of skateboarding. So I think it was yeah. a good investment. It was, you know, it's worth it. I have a, you know, I don't have any cartilage in my, in that ankle anymore. And I think yeah. that was the catalyst to really yeah. tear, you know, tearing my ankle apart and setting on the degeneration path. And yeah. I'm dealing with some of the residual of that now and it doesn't feel too good, but no, still working through it physically and staying on, you know, on track with my training, you know, mentorship, life of a football check and, <laughs> and I eat, eating as healthy as possible and. Yeah, just trying to uh, keep the dream alive. <laughs> and you've won X Games a number of times, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I I, I got five X Games gold gold medals. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, and I'm pretty proud of that. I got one silver medal, which I'm not so you know. I guess I'm proud of it, but yes. I I'm not you know. I know when I, I I'm humble when I know I should lose, and and, <laughs> and that one I'm I'm gonna argue to say that I think I got ripped off on that one. Well, so these things every happen. time I look at that medal, I go, dude, that should have been a gold medal. We'll just see it as gold. But you know, at that point, I didn't really care. It's it was like, you know, uh, I I had you know my my mission was to pave a new genre in skateboarding, you know, make it sustainable, build a build a you know event with ESPN and 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 you know, create a new, uh, uh, genre or, you know, avenue for other skateboarders to follow and to adapt to and evolve to, which has been successful. And, you know, once I saw there was enough guys that could do it and compete it, you know, in, in this event, my, I felt like my job was kind of done and yeah. competition isn't my, you know, my favorite thing. Although I, I, I've done it, you know, a lot in my career. It's not what I, you know, I don't really, necessarily like competing against other people per se like you know i most of my my challenges that i set are to outdo my last challenge for right. myself competing against yourself yeah it's more you know it's more personal and it's not you know i, I don't know i just think i'm not here to prove that i'm better than anybody else yeah there really. don't have to be a loser it's just it's just your yeah. opportunity to grow yeah and ex exceed you know show yourself what's possible which is I think, you know, I tell a lot of athletes, you're giving yourself a lot of stress because you're trying to beat someone else. But ultimately, the biggest dragon you got to overcome is the one inside you. So if you just know that those people are there to inspire you to reach your potential, but you focus on 
doing your best for you, it takes a lot of the pressure out of the situation. That's, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I, I always feel, you know, in a competitive environment when I'm competing against other people, it's, it's just like, in a, you know, a, 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 you know, the energy that I'm feeling is, is, is off a bit. Like it doesn't feel like the, the integrity of what I'm doing is, is right. You know, it's like, yeah, it becomes more competitive and less artistic, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and what is this about, you know, ego, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's, you know, I have a, you know, I have a, a brain that, that battles itself in challenge all the time. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it's my ego against my ego, but yeah. I, you know, it's my ego against other people. I don't really thrive on that. Yeah. It makes me feel really uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, because most people wouldn't really know the depth of you like I would from working with you. But I wanted to ask you, you know, I know that your childhood, like mine, wasn't an easy walk in the park. And I'm curious of if you could share, A, how do you feel the challenging experiences of your childhood contributed to your ability to be as tenacious and committed as you are? And when I look out and see a lot of the kids that are into skateboarding, I intuitively sense a lot of these kids are also finding freedom and medicine in skateboarding from challenging households. So to summarize that, how do you feel that your childhood maybe created an environment that might have given you certain gifts or abilities that you may not have had without that? And do you feel skateboarding is, is medicinal for children who are also in challenging home environments? I absolutely think skateboarding is medicinal for, for, for kids growing up in dysfunctional environments, for, you know, for sure. And, you know, and, and not, not to, you know, say that every dysfunctional environment also, you know, has some, you know, piece of poverty included, but it kind of seems a little bit common, you know, that most dysfunctional, you know, you know, upbringings are associated with poverty as well. And, but skateboarding is, you know, a very inexpensive way, you know, to, to be artistic, creative and athletic. I think it's, you know, it's one of, you know, the few sports that has really, you know, uh, been created inside the urban environment, you know, and, 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 there's tons of things, you know, that were built, for not you know that 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 have been built that were not built for skateboarding that have become platforms for skateboarding. So it, it's got you know a really organic sort of you know evolution of how 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 this you know whole um, you know movement of 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 skateboarding has evolved. And I think that you know the kids, you know, to just go outside your house with a board, you know, and and most sports are, you know, if you're getting into, you know, even surfing and snowboarding are a lot more expensive than skateboarding to get yeah. involved in. Um, but skateboarding, you can walk out your front door and go skateboarding, you know, especially you live in a city yeah. and it's like a skate park everywhere, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's not an expensive, you know, uh, sort of sport to, um, you know, to get set up for. And, uh, there's so much freedom in the creativity of it and self-expression uh, and it's not, you know, it's, it's you and your board, really. It's not like, you know, team sports are great and they're, and, and they're fun, you know, but I, I do believe that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of personality that is expressed through, you know, any f sort of art and skateboarding yeah. is just another, you know, paintbrush or pen or yeah. you know, pencil or whatever it is that you're, 
sketching of you know a drawing of or what you know it's just a it's a moving paintbrush you know yeah it is and who who are some of the people in your career that you think were pivotal either in your physical your emotional or your mental development and when you look back on your career and say you know it's because i met this person that i have been able to accomplish this or have this mindset or you know have there been uh individuals athletes or uh people that have somehow given you a piece of the puzzle that you think uh was essential when you look back on it yeah i mean growing up in delmar skate park you know i was a real little kid and and it was a very tight you know sort of community there and it was you know uh very localized you know i'll say and it took a lot to earn respect there so there you know there's a lot of guys that that you know i had i had to look you know that that were a lot taller and bigger than me that kind of weren't so nice to me all the time <laughs> my only way to you know to respect with the older guys was to to do what they were doing or do it better yeah. you know and that's uh, you know there's there's a handful of guys i grew up at the delmar skate park that really pushed me and, and motivated me and kind of got me a little bit ang- angry in some ways you know as far as like i mean growing up in you know in my in the household i was growing up i didn't get a lot a lot of peace and yeah. you know it was hard to find you know a lot of i guess comfort or love all the time and and then you go out into an environment where you're trying to find some, you know that sort of individual space and 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 you know being creative and then you got you know some somebody giving you a little bit of a hard time you know it started to empower me to want to uh succeed you know or go beyond what what these people that were challenging me with were at so yeah that, you know there i can think of a handful of guys <laughs> but you know tony hawk is one of them for yeah. sure uh it you know when i was a kid and started skating at del mar he was already on his way to being a pro skateboarder i was just learning and you know, he didn't even acknowledge me when i was a kid you know so it's it's ironic that one day you know i became when I first turned pro, one of his biggest rivals. That's great. And, uh, you know, at 13 years, 14 years old, you know, I, I didn't expect that to happen because, you know, when I was 11 or 12, I wasn't even on his radar. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he viewed me at Del Mar Skate Park as any threat, you know, in his future. Um, but, you know, the lack of, I guess, acknowledgement and, uh, you know, the lack of positive reinforcement and all those things started to make me pretty hungry. Yeah. And maybe wanted to, you know, make a statement that I'm here, you know? Well, sometimes a negative begs for a positive, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, definitely non-negative, you know, sort of reinforce or the, the negative, re, you know, energy definitely uh, is a catalyst to wanting to, to drive yourself. And, and I had a lot of that coming my way as a kid. So I just turned it into fuel. I think that's important too, because, you know, having worked with countless athletes, as you know, and people in general, it's, it's amazing how many people, um, you know, they, they, they let these negative painful experiences be like skunk stink. And they, they sort of become a, a victim to the experience and don't, um, get past the poor me, or if only this hadn't happened to me, and so their growth and development often stops right there. Sure. But, you know, I think 
it's like um you know when i was a boxer and a kickboxer there was times when i was like i didn't even know if i was alive i was you know getting the hell beat out yeah. of me and and you 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 have to have enough esprit de corps you know inner fire to stand up to the dragon yeah. and you know as we're discussing with you here and and i've certainly had my share of those moments but i i think that i guess what i'm hoping people that are listening to this can understand is that anybody that's really made it anywhere in their life of any significance has usually gone through some beatings and had has plenty of opportunity to say poor me and give up yeah but it's uh and a lot of people do do that you know which is yeah. sad it is sad but you know i think what i'm what i'm sharing here is hopefully your story is inspiration i know when i came up to your opening of waiting for lightning i found it very inspirational it was my first time to be in a movie so that was kind of oh, fun wow. but well, uh it was it was very out. inspirational because it it really showed a lot about the trials of your life and and the 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 beatings and the challenges it was uh and so for those that haven't listened to that especially if you're a younger person wanting to you know find your path in life i think waiting for lightning's a great movie well, i appreciate that yeah i was very very um you know proud of that film and and it does have a good you know storyline of explanation of the catalysts that continue to keep fueling my fire and, you know, as a kid, I didn't really feel like I, I, I entered that state of poor me. It was more, I'm not going to be a part of this, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to, to change, you know, my environment someday. And, and, you know, every opportunity I had to prove myself or, or to take advantage of that negativity and turn it into fuel, I, I channeled it all into my you know, I would say, I guess it was, you know, a form of anger and, you know, anger management per se, <laughs> put in the right direction. Yeah. Channeled uh, anger. <laughs> channeled anger. But, you know, you can also self-destruct if you don't, you know, release this energy. And yeah. I would find myself getting satisfaction out of releasing my energy in ways that were dangerous and, you know, life-threatening or, um, you know, physically debilitating but the the you know walking on the edge of the cliff started to hone my focus and yeah confidence dealing with stress and 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 anger and and those things you know i mean most people get so comfortable staying away from the edge of the cliff and you know i feel like you know the a lot of people live a you know a pretty dim life because their their fear mechanisms kick in so early that they they never really even they, they they don't they stay so far away from the edge of the cliff they don't even see the edge you know and they, there's a lot of space in between that spot and the edge of the cliff and you know when you start tightrope on the edge of the cliff then you know you're really living and, yeah you you can hear your heartbeat yeah and then there's a comfort zone that you find in that and then yeah. you start to relate that to all these other things mm-hmm. you know and and you know things aren't you know life is dangerous and and yeah. life is going to have turmoil and negativity and you know there are going to be challenges of things that are going to depress you and well you can make it dangerous by by living with fear as your guide because you never really live yeah and so the next thing you know you're depressed and next thing you know you're on medical drugs and the next thing you know you're feeling worse than ever and so 
I think that there's a certain level of um, there's a there's a zone, right? There's a there's a place between um, a willingness to grow and and just stupidity, right? Yeah, you know what it's like when you're in a car and someone's driving way above their skills. Yeah, it's a very different experience than when someone's pushing the edge of their skills and they're skillful. Yeah, you know, you 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 feel safe when that person's sliding. And you're, you know, one yeah. fraction from flying off into the ditch or whatever, but you know that they're focused versus somebody who's just being like a teenager who's smoking too much pot and drinking too much alcohol and trying to, you know, show off how cool they are in mom and yeah. dad's Corvette. You know, there, there's a ladder system to, I think, you know, finding that comfort zone of kind of living in, you know, on the edge and, and being okay and comfortable there. You know? Yeah. And, and it's you know when you get that strength of comfort living you know more close to the to the risk zone then you know it's a lot easier to absorb trauma and challenges and things like that because you're you know you've you've been able to you know i guess become centered enough with the risk factors of of you know all of these things that can be emotionally or physically harmful to you that it's not as know traumatizing to experience some of these things and you start to realize that you know it's almost like an illusion the fear you know yeah and and the fear will take a lot of people's lives and and, and spiral it you know also if you if you buy into the fear too much it dulls you when you need to be sharp when you're doing you know a a serious athletic event such as what you do or racing a car or a motorcycle or even in martial arts. I mean, I'm, I remember uh, when I was fighting competitively, I had to fight the fourth-ranked amateur boxer in the world who was on my boxing team. And so he was the first-string welterweight. I was the third-string welterweight on, this, uh, on our team, which were third-ranked in the world as amateur teams. But the first round, I was so afraid of the guy, he was beating the hell out of me. And my corner man said, Paul, you know, you... You can take this guy out. You just are afraid of him, but you're not fighting him. You're yeah. running from him. Go fight him. And so the second round, I got a little braver and I hit him with some good shots. And then the third round, you know, my cornerman said, Paul, you know, you're, you, you probably aren't going to make it through the third round if you don't go take this guy out. And the third round, I just decided I, I've made it two rounds with this guy and he hasn't knocked me out. So now is my chance. I better go do something about it. And I had a hell of a good third round. I actually uh, outpointed him in the third round, according to the referee's scores. And then I remember kicking myself, going, why did I let myself get so afraid? Because if I would have just fought the first two rounds like I fought the third round, I would have beaten this guy. Yeah. And so, you know, there's many experiences like that where I, where my own experiences, where I look back on it and say, okay, I learned that fear can be useful to motivate you it can fear can be useful to make sure you dot your i's and cross your t's and you you know your equipment's working and you got your shit together fear's a healthy emotion if it's used correctly yeah Yeah. but but if fear takes you over then it stops you from accessing the genie inside of you that can guide you beyond the point of which your conscious mind can guide you have you, you know, Carl Jung says no man is fully alive until he has the power to destroy himself. And man, you have skirted the edge of self-destruction a lot of times. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, your body is, is a sort of a, a, a map of what's possible surgically. How many surgeries have you had now? Uh, I, I think it, it's to the correct, the correct number is 24. 24. Orthopedic surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And, and I've been around for lots of them. I actually introduced you to the doctor that's done a lot of those surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Bill Previte as he's done, I think about 20 of them. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, and I'm grateful that, that you, you took me up on that offer to meet with him because he, as you know, is a master surgeon. So yeah, for I've, those of you broken boys out there and, or girls, if you need a real, a really skillful orthopedic surgeon, Bill Previte D.O. in San Diego, California is the, the place to go. But uh, where I'm really heading with this is, you know, I've known you for 25 years and I, I know you live intensely and fully with everything that you do, whether it be loving the women in your life or playing with your kids or making music or uh, medicine ceremonies and talking to God or whatever it is. But, you know, one of the things that I know is challenging because I've worked with lots of athletes that have this challenge is how do you manage the pace of a, of a world that moves so much slower than Danny way vibrates at? How do you, how do you uh, make that transition so that you don't find yourself driving too fast all the time and pushing everybody and everything around you to the point that it, that it actually could lead to challenges in relationships and in life itself. I mean, that's a good question. Cause it, it, you know, that is a, a very, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's an art to, <laughs> to be able to, to control that. Cause you want to surround yourself with people that are similar to you. So you feel normal. You yeah. Know? <laughs> That must be hard for you. don't want you. people to tell you to slow down when you're driving fast. You know? <laughs> no, I was like, ah, shut up. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think organic, you know, naturally, you know, I, 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 you know, I think I, I attract or, you know, connect with people that have similar wiring or have similar, you know, life experiences or, you know, have, you know, mastered or, you know, gotten really um, good with, you know, finding that space of you know uncertainty being comfortable with uncertainty you know yeah. and and living risk you know living a life of risk and knowing that you know we are living but it is risky and you know yeah. we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because of it yeah. but you know be you know I, if i surround myself with too many people that are telling me you're crazy for what you're doing and i start listening to that you know yeah. it might detune me a little bit so you yeah know, like you know, I guess uh, you know, I, I attract people in my life that are motivators in a lot of ways, and I can tell that energy in those people and the people that have that wisdom who they are, and and it seems like we, you know, kind of navigate towards each other. And, but you know, for the most part, in other relationships, you know, outside of my athleticism, personal relationships, you know, relationships with my family, girlfriends, wife, whatever. Um, can be challenging at times because not everybody's wired like, you know, me or us and, and the extremist in most of what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, it is a, it is a, um, you know, it is kind of hard sometimes being an average, you know, wired person or fitting in with that kind of yeah. energy Yeah, because I'm not wired that way. And it's, yeah. and I have to be conscious of 
who I surround myself with and how I act because of it. Cause yeah. some people just don't relate. You know? No. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it can scare people too. They, because they always see you through their frame of reference Yeah, and they don't, because they've never experienced what's possible within themselves. You're always going to be limited by their perception of what's possible. Yeah. And you know, their perception of crazy to me is, it's taken many years of climbing a ladder to get to where I'm at and I'm yeah. confident in what I do. Yeah. It's not crazy at all to me. It's calculated. Yeah. So it's skill. Know, it's, it's, it's skill. And it, and there is a combination of fear intertwined with that level of skill because it is dangerous if, yeah. if you make mistakes and, you know, but it is a confidence building progression and it takes, you know, it's taken me years to get from, you know, the bottom of the staircase to where I'm at now. And, you know, if you didn't see all the, the steps in between and you just saw where I'm at today and what I'm doing, yeah. it does look crazy. It does, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I try and explain that to people sometimes. It's like, you know, it's it's taking, you know, m- you know, 30 years of professional skateboarding to get to this level of where I'm finally seeing the possibilities that I dreamed of when I was a little kid. Yeah. And I didn't just go from you know from the first step to the top of the ladder no in one jump and that's a problem that a lot of young people have they don't they don't realize that the hero's journey is real and you don't just become a hero uh, overnight there yeah. you know it, it, and, and oftentimes when that happens be it a rock star or whatever they burn out they're one hit wonders or you never see them again or sure they don't have the they don't develop the work hardening it takes to sustain a high level of performance. And I think, you know, uh, uh, there's so much instant gratification in our culture today that um, I think it's important for people to hear from guys like you that it has been a 30 year journey and there has been a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved in it. And that young people should realize that each day is a step towards becoming the master or the champion or the world record holder. And that you have to be that person every day, not just the day you get there. It's not like a magical gift. You just get, you know, out of the, out of the air and all of a sudden you're, you know, doing all this, you know, this extraordinary stuff. It it is, you know, it is a, a life, you know, for me, it's a life. It's, it's, I've committed my life to this path. Yeah. Uh, I didn't plan to, it's, it, it evolved or, you know, organically and, 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 and on its own. But as it started to mature, I started to realize, well, I'm starting to learn something from this and I'm also getting, you know, an opportunity in life that I, that I'm not used to and didn't have as a kid. So I started to really appreciate, you know, the, op, the, the results of what, what I was, you know, pushing myself through and, you know, it, it, it each, you know, there's been so many, so much trial and tribulation and the irony of, you know, falling and getting back up has become such a, a big part of my life because, you know, if you don't know how to fall, you can't learn how to skateboard Yeah, and falling is part of everything. I mean, you're going to yeah. fall in, on your face all the time, but it's how, how quickly you can get back up. Or if you get hurt when you fall on your face, how quickly can you rehab yourself out of it? Yeah. You know, and, and that, that mentality applies to pretty much universally everything um, in life. Once you get good at that, you know, I, if, you know, I have to accept I'm going to go fall when I go skateboard and yeah. probably get hurt. Yeah. And, uh, but I know that I'll do whatever I can to get back up, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, when I was, as a kid, I rode in the rodeo and you don't ride in the rodeo long before you 
experience some pain and I raced motocross and there's no, no motocross racer. That's a real racer that isn't already aware that there's going to be some dirt sandwiches on the way. And yeah. you, some of them are going to be worse than that. And I woke up in the ambulance many times and didn't even know how I got there, but uh, it was fun and exciting and I'm glad I'm alive. And, and, you know, that was one of the things that, re- that, that, that came through my mind while we were talking is that when you first came to me, what you didn't know at that time was that, you know, I'd had a lot of intense injuries from bad road racing accidents where I was, you know, yeah. going really fast. One time I missed a bridge and just made a mess of myself going like 70 miles an hour into a riverbed full of huge stones and got internal bleeding and, you know, was in shock. And Wow. Yeah. You've told me a little bit about some of these stories, but I don't think I know the, the details of them all, but. Well, there's been a lot of them. So, yeah. you know, the point I'm leading to is that when you came in, I saw myself and I said, I know what I've been able to rehabilitate. And I re- rehabilitated myself. I didn't have any skilled therapists. I'm from Vancouver Island in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah. you know, uh, the local doctor, what's he going to do? Give you a pill, you know? So I had to figure these things out myself. And that's part of what inspired me is I keep, I kept finding ways to heal myself from, you know, very nasty injuries. So when I saw you, I, I just saw myself and said, look, he's breathing, he's walking, he's talking, he's motivated. If he's motivated, I'm motivated. Yeah. And, and I have enough knowledge about how the body works and what to do. And I knew right away, I, you know, I tested you and, and measured everything and, you know, did neurological testing. So I knew exactly what I was up against. And I knew it was going to be an adventure and that there was no harm in me just doing the best I could do for you. But the point I'm making is because I had been through my own trail of tears, Yes, I wasn't pushed back. Like you said, most doctors just yeah, told guy, you your career was over, but I looked at you and remember what happened. You told me you, you got mad la- at me. You started laughing and <laughs> thought it was, you're like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Ha, ha. I've seen this before. Yeah. And uh, I thought you were crazy at first, to be honest. Yeah. Because like I said, some of the other doctors I had seen would not touch me. Yeah. They were afraid to touch me. They didn't want to manipulate my neck or move me in any yeah. weird way. They were just like, just stay in bed. And this, I remember, you know, I waited in a, uh, uh, for a few months to see like one of the best orthopedic spine doctors in San Diego or, you know, in the country supposedly. And I finally get the appointment. It's been a few months of waiting to see him. And I go and, he looks at me for like five minutes and is like, well, you know, there's obviously some, you know, bruising of your spinal cord going on. I can see there's inflammation on the MRI. You know, this could take, you know, this could take, you know, six months or this could take five years or it could take, it could never go away. Yeah. And that's all he had to tell me. You yeah. Know, it's like three months, five minutes. And that's, that was his story to me. And then I laughed at you. And, and then he sent me out the door. <laughs> Yeah, this was like earlier on and you know in the early stages of it I saw this guy and then yeah and then by the time I got to you I I was just like I mean everybody had their own story of what they thought was going on and what they could or couldn't do and and then you came in and started laughing and and you know there was something sincere about your laugh and 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 your and your confidence that I trusted you know and, yeah. and uh so I I at that point I didn't really have much to lose I felt like but to listen and 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 somehow i i trusted your energy 
yeah. and followed the orders yeah. and you know went from you know having some paralysis in my hands and numbness and all throughout my whole body to um you know competitively coming back in the next three or four months and yeah four and, months and then won my first contest back made a good paycheck too yeah i was first day out of the box so i got to win with you so that was yeah exciting. that was uh that that to me you know it's that that contest you know it it, it has a big legacy you know legacy and it's 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 an endemically you know respected event in skateboarding it doesn't get much mainstream co- television coverage or anything of that nature but in the skateboard culture it's a it's a pretty you know good win mm-hmm. and you know that was my you know most people thought i was done and and career was over and i'd been off the tour for a minute and hiding out nobody would yeah. see me and then i showed up in you know at this event in florida and and uh came back and and, and won the event which was you know for me that that accomplishment was more i think gratifying than jumping the great wall of china well that was a rebirth yeah i mean i had no idea that i was gonna ever ride a skateboard again let alone come back and compete and win right away yeah but well i worked you hard yeah i mean the and i worked you hard in therapy i mean it was painful therapy i had to break up a lot of scar tissue and mobilize joints that were extremely locked and adhesed together from inner bleeding and trauma and it's yeah. it's a lot of people can't take that kind of therapy you know yeah that that you know the therapy was i mean that it, it it was you know it was a it was a quick ramp up at first, you know, I was a little intimidated and then it seemed like once I was capable of trusting you and let go and, and believe, you know, I was, I was at a lot, of, I did have a lot of fear at that point when you, yeah. when you smash the hard drive that hard and you're getting all this, you know, scattered information shot around your nervous system. Yeah. It, it, it wakes you up. I mean, that was the scariest spot I've ever been in physically in my whole, you know, in my whole life to date as far as injury goes, because yeah. I thought I was permanently fu- or fried. Sorry. Yeah. You can say that too. <laughs> I definitely thought I was permanently fucked. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, but you know, the, the irony, you know, we were talking about that earlier of what had happened to me at that time. You know, I started at a real young age and I, I took my health for gra- for granted when I was a kid. I, I abused, you know, I abused myself so much and, mm-hmm. And just had the never stop mentality. Even yeah. though I would get hurt, I would keep going. And and that started, you know, at a young enough age that by the time I was nineteen, when this injury happened, um, I had done a lot of damage to my body already, anyways. Yeah. And I was on a path of self destruction, with no education. You know, I had no mentor in that way. Yeah. All I had was you know some skateboarding talent and yeah. confidence. And but as far as you know, maintaining that that you know, or creating that longevity in my career. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't foresee myself getting past, you know, 30 years old with a pro skateboarding career. I never thought, I thought that was a great benchmark as a kid. Yeah. And, you know, I had no idea that I was going to obviously have this surfing accident that was going to leave me in this position of hardship physically. And, you know, and by the grace of God through that path, I met you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, the mentorship from that point on has been, you know, the catalyst to all of the endeavors that I have been able to accomplish since. And that well, we mentorship- know I taught you a lot of things that most athletes never know, and 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 so I'm very grateful for what we were able to give each other. Right? I I yeah. I got 
in you and and many others i got to see that i had a unique skill set that wasn't standard in the industry i was able to mix viewpoints and and technical uh, mindsets into one approach and yes you know like when i saw you part of the reason that i laughed is because when i looked into your eyes i saw primal fear uh, and not yeah. not the fear of i'm afraid to do this but i'm afraid i will never get to be myself again absolutely and i saw that you know the depression and i looked in into your eyes and you know i'm a, a spiritual guy as you know so i was looking at, at you through my third eye and feeling you and what i saw inside of you was is that you'd been you're like a an animal in a in a corner that someone's got a gun pointed at and it and it's figures it's dead unless it makes a dangerous move and it might die anyhow so yeah i was laughing to say don't worry we can work on this there's we got something to work with here you know yeah. and i know it got interpreted by you as is what the hell's he laughing at this is not fucking funny you know but, yeah but it broke the ice though i mean when, you know i uh, you're uh, you you know you threw out a few jokes that day that 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 kind of got me to loosen up a little bit with trusting, you know, <laughs> but you know, I, the, I think it was the the second day I came or the third day I came and I would think I was seeing you. I, I want to say almost every day or every yeah, other we were, day. We were for a while there, we were doing four to five days a week because yeah. there was a lot to do. Yeah. So I think it was the se second or third day. You told me to bring my skateboard in. Right. Yep. And that was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what you wanted to do with it, but then, I would come in with the skateboard and you're like, all right, now we're going to go down to the parking garage and you're going to ride this thing. Yeah. And that was like the biggest, you know, I didn't want anything to do with my skateboard because I was afraid if I rolled off the curb, I would paralyze myself, you know? Well, you know, and I'll, and you probably, maybe you don't remember, but what I had done is because you were the first big league skateboarder that had come to me. I'd done, you know, kids playing and hurting themselves as you would in a physical therapy clinic. but my son knew who you were. Yeah. And so when I went home and said, have you ever heard of a skateboarder named Danny way? And my son said, Oh my God, of course I have dad. You know, he's one of the best skateboarders in the world. And so he brought me a bunch of videos of you. And I said, well, I want to see what he does because I have got to rehabilitate him. So I, I need to know how far I have to take him in therapy yeah. before it's safe for him to go back and try some of these things. So when he showed me, you know, pictures of you sliding down like 30 foot rails and, and, you know, some of them had some pretty damn amazing wipeouts that you yeah. had one of them where you come off a rail and hit yourself right in the balls. And I'm like, oh my freaking God, this is gnarly shit. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. wild stuff. Right. And I'm, I'm like, I didn't even know you could do stuff that crazy on a skateboard. And this is back in your early days. Right. So. I needed to see exactly where are you at now, even though I knew it was scary for you, but I had to say, okay, where is Danny at and where do I have to take him? Cause my approach is to develop a plan. Yeah. So I staged a plan for you and I set milestones before he's got to get to here before I can do this. He's got to do this before I can get him to here. And I don't know if you remember, I put you through quite a test before I discharged you to go back to skating. Do you remember that where I had you blindfolded and jumping balance boards of all different types yeah, and you didn't yeah. know where they were at? 
You just yeah. knew there was something there, but you didn't know what type of surface it was, how far. And I said, Danny, you've got to learn to use your inner senses and trust your body. You cannot get by uh, with um, knowing exactly what's going to happen. I have to see if your nervous system can respond immediately to the environment. And and I had been building you up for it, but but I put a course of of uh, challenges that you know I know I couldn't have done myself, and I'm a good athlete. So I said, well, if he can do this, then I'll discharge him and and say you're you're safe to go back to your board now. And and so not only did you do it, and and I discharged you, but as we've discussed, you went back and won your first contest back. Yeah. So for me, I I felt I felt I had been um, I had met the responsibility that I had to you as a therapist to not just take your pain away and say, go back and play a little boy. I, I made sure that you could do things that were cat like enough that showed me that your cat was back home and it was safe to let you go be a cat again. Yeah. And that, that whole, you know, you know, I know you've pioneered a, a, a many different, you know, approaches to training and to rehabilitation and and your therapy um you know and i had worked out you know a little bit here and there prior to to meeting you like you know just with my buddies whatever you know basic gym machines just yeah. you know stuff that really has nothing to do with any proprioception sort of challenge uh, but yeah i mean that work you know starting with all of those tests became you know ingrained in all of the way that I, you know, approach my workouts and my training to date. Um, you know, that at that point I, I'd only had probably two surgeries, you know, yeah. so I've had, you know, at least 22 surgeries since that neck injury. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've had four ACL surgeries on the same knee. Yeah. Um, I've broken both <clears throat> ankles. I've had surgery on one of my, one of my ankles like six times. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> both the shoulders have been reconstructed but mainly the the knees and ankles stuff you know the, the a lot of that proprioception stability awareness cat-like behavior you know being agile like that um has become you know for me it's become the cornerstone of my ability to you know to snap back or yeah. to maintain physical longevity but yeah it's not traditional work that that you're teaching um or that you mentored me with that got me to this place that I'm at today. And not many people can train with me because they don't understand a lot of what I, you know, what I do. And it doesn't, it's not, they're not easy exercises. They take a little while to get them down. Yeah. And, and that brings up a point. I think legitimately you are the first skateboard star athlete. You're the first guy that I know that actually uses conditioning as a, you you were the first guy on the scene that actually used conditioning as essential to his preparation to succeed and accomplish and climb the ladder of success. And you started because of that injury. I mean, yeah. I, I wonder how it would be if you had not made that journey <laughs> in, into my office. <laughs> I, I wonder too. I mean, sometimes, you know, and I have a lot of, you know, residual, you know, stuff, you know, tension in my neck and I have some, you know, if I, if I take a hard hit, it'll sometimes set off some of the neurological symptoms I had from that injury. It didn't, it's never going to be the, a perfect neck again. No. Uh, but you know, the, 
if I wouldn't, you know, I, I've thought about this so many times over the years, like if I wouldn't have had that neck injury, would I have been able to continue and would I have been able to rehabilitate myself from these 20, you know, 24 surgeries? Yeah. Would I, you know, be in my 40s and be, you know, in great, you know, other than missing cartilage, which I'm obviously um, always on the hunt for the latest science and trying to figure out how to, to regenerate cartilage in, in the human body, which I'm, you know, always ex- experimenting with new, new procedures for that. But yeah. other than that, it's, you know, left me on a, um, you know, uh, on a path of, you know, having to, uh, you know, apply all of this wisdom that I've at- obtained from having this neck injury into my, you know, into the long, longe- getting the longevity out of my career that most people don't, would never get up against this many, you know, um, sort of physical, you know, injuries or turmoil to, to your, to your, uh, you know, your well being. Well, I think too, one of the gifts that came from our therapy together is I had to teach you about the importance of diet for controlling inflammation and saying, look, you're 19, but you got to be careful with, you know, 19 year old partying and eat well. And, uh, you know, I did yeah. tests on you and, and, uh, remember a number of times saying to you, look, you got to, you know, be aware of this, be aware of that. It's not just your exercise. It's not just time yeah. on the skateboard. It's a 360 deal. And, you know, I remember, I don't remember the name of the competition, but you will, but you entered, you were asked to enter one of those kind of uh, famous where they get the top athletes from all the different sports on television and they do yeah. go through like a decathlon type situation yeah, yeah. And, and you won it. And Yeah, that was right after an ACL um, surgery. And I, I remember working with you out of that rehab as well. Yeah. And I think it was four months after I had, you know, it was a cadaver graph. Yeah. So I hadn't even sprinted yet, you know, and they have, they had all kinds of, you know, it was like, like an extreme challenge of all these different, you know, jo- uh, sort of, you know, different events or yeah. challenges. Like they still have today in television, yeah. you know? I mean, there was a hundred thousand dollars for first place on this event. So that, I'm going against athletes from all different, you know, backgrounds. Football, football, track and field, you know, yeah. track whole, and field, watermen, you know, yeah. whatever. There was, you know, mountain climb, whatever. There's just, they, they, they just brought a soup bowl of different kinds of athletes together. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, that's a kind of the officially where I, where I met Laird Hamilton because yeah. he was, he was the host of the event. Right. He was injured at the time. And then he and I started talking because I, you know, and it, you know, right out the gates, I started winning most of the events. Yeah, and this is right. You know, this is the first time I really tested my knee from the ACL surgery. Yeah, but then he started questioning me, like, you know, who are you training with? What's, you know, what's what's the deal here? I didn't, I wouldn't expect to, you know, somebody from a skateboard community to be so athletic. Yeah, and you know, I I've always been athletic since I was a kid, and it's yeah. kind of I'm wired to be athletic. You yeah, know? you know, I used to. You know, back in the early days I worked with you, I kind of kept it on the DL because, you know, skateboarding culture back then, it wasn't so cool to be a jock, you know? Well, I remember, I, I, you know, after I rehabbed you a couple of times, I said, Danny, we really ought to get to get our heads together and put together some videos for the skateboard committee on how to condition. And you said, no, no, don't do that. You know, I don't want my competition knowing how we're doing all this stuff. Yeah, that's, So I sat on it, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh but you know it's funny now. I mean, skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. It'll be in Tokyo in 2020. Yeah. 
uh, surfing as well. But you know, this there's several skateboarders, you know, top skateboarders, young street skaters that I, you know, that I've, you know, uh, mentored, you know, a bit over the years. But you know, when anyone gets hurt, they call me. Yeah, you know, they they call me for advice on pretty much every. You know, most most of the guys younger 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 gen guys that I know in the industry call me when they need help. Yeah. Um, well, and, well and, obviously you, you have the experience. <laughs> well, yeah. And I have great resources, but yeah. you know, a lot of guys have now become, you know, athletic and, and train and get it. Like they yeah. see the longevity I have and, 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 you know, the writings on the wall, it's like, I meant, you know, I preach, you know, I used to kind of keep it on the DL and that was just my own secret weapon to keep things going. But, you know, if it's guys that are, on, you know, that, that, that I sponsor, you know, I have my own skateboard brand and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the guys that skate for me, I, you know, I want, I want these guys to have longevity as well. And, um, and you know, there's a handful of top guys now that train and and are committed to, you know, a program. Um, and there's, you know, several different, you know, uh, places that these guys train at. And, and I know it's all derivatives of, of, of your disciples of, you know what you pioneered back in the you know the eighties. Yeah, there was a time there. I I think uh, at one point I'd worked with almost every skater that was sponsored by DC Shoe for yeah. various challenges or trying to prepare them so they didn't have challenges. I remember I worked with Rob Deerdick and uh, I worked with Tass Pappas and his brother. Yeah. I worked with quite a number. I don't remember them all. You know, I've I don't yeah. try to. I'm not a, a guy that glorifies athletes, but. Uh, um bruce irons yeah i had my hands on a lot of the young guys that really made a mark in the industry yeah um and and these but there's like you know even the generation past that you know these guys started looking at what i was pulling off and and some of these guys are similar age bracket like rob and i are the same age and yeah so these guys started to go wait what is he doing i'm starting to feel old you know and he's still going so they you know they started looking at my program and starting to follow but, you know, it's the younger kids now that are getting it. You know, skateboarding is an Olympic sport, you yeah. know, and athleticism is a big part of skateboarding. It is very creative, but yeah. it's also very athletically challenging. And there is a lot of risk for injuries. And, and you know, the only way to, you know, prevent injury, if possible, is to be in good shape and to be agile and strong and witty and, and you know if you if you're in good shape going into getting hurt usually rehabilitate yourself a lot quicker as well absolutely and you know the thing is is skateboarding now has reached uh such a high level with the reality of impact that if your tendons and your cartilage and your bones and your muscles are not in good physical condition i don't just mean physical fitness i mean you know you know, an example that I give to make the point I'm going to make is, is, you know, I say you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. In other words, you can, if you're an athlete and you're doing the right kind of training, but you're eating garbage, you're still uh, half baked because yeah. you can't make healthy, strong discs and ligaments and tendons out of low quality food. And you know that as well as anybody alive. And, um, one of the things I used to do, I still do for my students to make this point to them, I would say, you go buy a standard farm-raised chicken uh, just out of a store like Safeway or Albertsons or wherever you would get your typical chicken and go buy an organic free-range chicken. Cook them both in the oven at exactly the same time. Same, same oven, same chicken side by side, one organic, excuse me, one conventional. conventional 
and then cut the leg thigh combo off and take that leg and thigh in your hand, one in the leg in one hand, the thigh in the other, and try to snap the knee joint. Well, if you do that to a commercially raised chicken, it'll practically fall apart without any effort whatsoever. And if you do that with a free-range organic chicken, you will have to wrestle and twist to snap those ligaments. They will be so hard that even a strong person will have to struggle to break those things. And a lot of my students you know, tried that experiment and it blew their mind. And um, I've got a book in my library. Uh, it's called The Living Soil and the Holly Experiment, uh, produced by Lady Eve Balfour, who was one of the original pioneers of the organic food movement. This book's written in 1947 or 46. And it talks about a, a, a boarding school in New Zealand that was having a lot of injuries on their rugby team. And they noticed that. Um, the mental performance and and some of the markers that the physicians would look at when they were doing like annual school checkups weren't very good. So the, the somebody in the school, like the principal, made it a school project to grow an organic to they actually started a farm to feed the children from their own farm and make farming part of their school practice. Yeah. And one of the first things that happened is the the team doctor the doctor for, that took care of all the athletes and they and their high school rugby team noticed that within several months of eating all organic food that they were getting fraction a fraction of the ligament tendon muscle and joint injuries that they yeah. used to and so when i read that years and years ago i mean i read that you know long long time ago probably before i i'd even met you and i immediately became aware that, okay, I'm going to pay attention to the integrity of the ligaments in commercially raised food or animals. Yeah. And there's ways I can test that. So it's just pulling on them and seeing how much force they can take. And, and, and it's, it's, there's no question in my mind, if your diet wasn't as good as yours was, your joints would have been destroyed a long time ago. Cause you would, your, your, your yeah. the tissue would just not have the integrity to take the kind of beating. So it, it's, I think part of the message that we're sharing here is that, it really isn't just about having a strong mind. It really isn't just about uh, spending the time in the gym or no. pushing yourself. It's, it's 360. It, it's you, you have to have the food. And so um, there's a lot of other interesting questions I'd like to ask you. Thanks for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Danny Way. You can find Danny on Instagram at Danny Way. And Paul recommends the documentary about Danny's life, Waiting for Lightning, which is available on Amazon. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on YouTube. Search for Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at www.paulchecksblog.com. That's P A U L C H E K S B L O G.com. And also the Czech Institute's blog at www.checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.